In this episode of Teacher Prep, we'll be exploring distance learning and how to design online learning experiences for your students. I'm joined with Dr. Cynthia Sistek Chandler, Professor of Education at National University. She'll be sharing best practices and tools to get started in a synchronous and asynchronous learning environment. Teacher Prep. This is Dr. Dickinson, and today we're going to be talking about distance learning in a dash. I am joined with Dr. Cynthia Sistek Chandler, and Dr. Chandler is a professor at National University at Sanford College of Education. She's also the Academic Program Director for the Advanced Teaching Practices Program. How are you doing, Dr. Chandler? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, considering what's happening and I'm attending a lot of uh, webinars regarding response to distance ed, to online learning, to best practices, and Twitter chats, and so I'm very active on the web right now. Yeah, I keep hearing that from a lot of my teacher friends. Everybody's making the dash to online learning, distance education, but you have been doing it for quite some time right now, and and I'd love to just get your advice because as teachers are scrambling around the globe to move to an online classroom, what advice would you give? Well, yes, I have been teaching online, believe it or not, since 1999. I'm pretty much a pioneer in this uh, field. I developed my first class using HTML coding and just uploaded it into a learning management system. So I've been doing this for a long time. and you know, those early iterations of the web, um, that you know, they were containers that, that helped uh, deliver instruction. Uh, but then, you know, early in the 2000s, all kinds of web-based resources started to crop, crop mm-hmm. up. And we really have been able to harness the power of the web with these web 2.0 technology tools. And you know, this, we're in a very unprecedented time now. NPR is even calling this mad rush of distance learning and digital learning as the new normal. But I've observed this happening for a long time. Do you know that states like Florida and Michigan and Utah have had virtual schools since the 2000s, since the early 2000s? And countries like Turkey have had thousands and thousands of students being enrolled in distance ed. So this global urgency to online is, is really making everyone, I think, aware of the power of the web and all of the content that is located out there. Right. And you talked about, you know, this, this has been going on for some time, this idea of virtual schools where students are getting their curriculum virtually. So I'm just curious about what that looks like for people that have never experienced a virtual school as either a student or a teacher, you know, what does virtual school look like and what makes a virtual school successful? Yeah, I, I, it's a lot of these uh, entities have had, they use a learning management system where there's a, a syllabus section. There is a place for announcements. There's mm-hmm. a place for calendars. There's a, pl- there's a grade book. Right. Um, there is 
instruction that is either self-paced, but for the most part, it's guided. It's not just a whole bunch of websites that are up in, on a web page because there's a big difference between having a web page full of resources uh, and having online learning, which is supposed to be designed for uh, optimal instruction and using instructional design principles. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we all know about learning theory and you have to have content that motivates the learner, right. that the learner can interact with. And, and then they have to be able to show you that they're learning by creating and constructing knowledge and giving them, giving you evidence that, and share that evidence in a digital format. So there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's guided instruction. Um, and students really love being able to create and using a lot of these Web 2.0 tools to uh, publish their digital work and share it with their peers. Right. I love what you had to say about the whole idea of designing it and then basing it on those three principles that you talked about, interacting, motivating, and creating, constructing. I think that's so important. But I want to jump back to what you said earlier about creating that structure because as a mama bear of three kids that are I'm now homeschooling, I've seen a huge um, – different. I mean, I, there's just been such a variety of what the, the teachers are, how they're approaching this distance learning phenomenon. Um, one teacher literally just sent me a entire web page full of resources. And it, as a parent, even though I'm familiar with web tools and everything, I was like, this is just overwhelming. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, you've literally sent me a sheet that someone probably sent you with over 200 web tools. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to get started. I have a six-year-old that's trying to learn how to read. Right. And then I had my second son, he's in fourth grade and the teacher already had a web page. So mm -hmm. she's been just keeping up with that space, which was really nice because I know where to go. I know what to do. And she's just posting assignments and things that they need to get done. And then my third son, um, they're using Google Classroom. So he's got his assignments that he gets turned in on the Google Classroom. And um, that's kind of where all the teachers, because he's at mm -hmm. middle school. So everybody's in the Google Classroom. So it's just one space where mm -hmm. I can literally go to all his different classrooms with his teachers and see what he needs to get turned in. So mm -hmm. definitely a huge variety of approaches to online learning. For sure. For sure. Um, there are a lot of state agencies, as I mentioned before, who have web portals with state-aligned curriculum mm -hmm. and with uh, some of it is print-based, uh, some of them are structured lesson plans, and some of these entities like the National Council of Teachers of English and the Natural National Council for Teachers of Mathematics, they have interactive uh, units on their website that are completely free and they're vetted because they're created by subject matter experts. Right. There's a there's a ton of places to go out. It's how to curate, to vet it, to make sure it's good uh, content and good information. You know, and there are also a lot of commercial websites because they've taken multimedia and blended it uh -huh. to give that student that learner a beginning baseline and then have them work through. Uh, I don't want to say drill and practice because a lot of it is practice. However, 
the student receives immediate feedback because mm-hmm. the way the courses are designed, and they really are courses, are mini units, they're adaptive, they're individualized, um, they're aligned to a specific grade level. Uh, and you know there are some incredible resources like IXL Master 2000. There's uh, Reading Eggs. There's Newzilla for reading right. as well, uh, and that's for primary source literature as well. But you know one of the the best places that I can point teachers to to really embrace web content is Kathy Schrock's website. Her guide to everything online is, and she's a librarian, and she's been posting resources for probably 20 years. So for the teachers out there, I would go ahead and, you know, be very comfortable pointing them to Kathy Schrock for Uh all kinds of web resources. But, you know, keep in mind, um, as an instructional designer and as a teacher, an educator, just selecting a web resource is not enough and putting it up online is not enough. There has to be specific directions. There has to be a deliverable. You know, what are they going to do after they click on the website? What are they going to do to show sure. the, the teacher that they've learned? Yeah. So like take a tool like Comic Creator where they can create a virtual comic strip. You're saying provide a structure behind that, like, Right. You know, create a story, make sure it has a beginning, middle and end or, you know, you're creating some type of problem solution. So giving your students like that explicit directive about what they're supposed to do and mm-hmm. how to do it so that you exactly. can see kind of evidence of the subject matter, not just evidence of, hey, I went on this tool and I played around for a little bit and it was kind of fun, but then I got bored and left. <laughs> so grounding that in the standards. So the quality of the resource is really uh, so critically important because if you are pointing to a resource and even if it's commercial, you know, they're going to, a parent is going to have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of school districts have, have obtained site licenses for some of these curriculum aligned resources that Students can log in and they can track their work and that kind of thing. But one of the key elements to distance ed, e-learning, online learning, is to have a human connection through web conferencing. And we call this in the biz, we call it synchronous discussion, Mm. synchronicity, being connected in real time, seeing those students, looking at their eyes and looking at their emotions and being able to see at least one student or many students. And right now, Zoom is giving a a free license to every teacher in America uh, to be able to to conduct this true distance learning experience. Um, You have a morning meeting. You you can uh, put students into breakout rooms and they can work on problems together they can they can do research together while the teacher is online with them guiding them through the experiences and guiding them through the content just like they would in a face-to-face classroom you know one of the i think one of the the tools that have just taken education by storm is Salman Khan's Khan Academy sure um, and but those are not 
live experiences. I'm not saying that they're not as powerful because they are, absolutely. Because the power of video, when, when a student can record themselves or when they can look at a tutorial that's been recorded, that's self-paced, you can stop that recording at any time. So I encourage uh, teachers to take a look at what Khan Academy has done. Um, they, they, although they are more designed for a one-to-one -one relationship, they can be used to wrap instruction around mm -hmm. uh, and to have it connected to the grade level and whatever outcomes that the teacher wants. Right. And so Khan Academy would be a blended learning tool. Yes. The students would work on asynchronously without the teacher. Right. But then as the teacher, you can obviously get your teacher dashboard and see how your mm -hmm. students are performing and all these skills. Exactly. Which is a nice exactly. snapshot. Because a lot of this, a lot of computer-based delivery has the ability to track student learning. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, the student also needs to be constructing knowledge, not just answering a, a question A, B, C, or D. Right. They need to be able to take that and transfer that learning. Um, but getting back to synchronous meetings, if you haven't done them before, you know, you can be on Google Hangout. Um, Zoom, like I said, is giving a free license. And there are other tools, but you have to really plan. Just like you plan for instruction in a in a face-to-face -face classroom, you need to plan, plan, plan. You need to prepare. You need to test the equipment. Yes. And then you need to repeat that. You need to allow time for interactions. Uh, use open-ended questions for your learners to think about things, just like you have wait time in the classroom. And really the power is building that learning community because it can be very isolating when students are in their own home and they're not being social with right. their classmates. I, I want to echo that as a, as um, my child who is six, her teacher went on maternity leave right before the whole coronavirus broke out. So she literally had not had a teacher and as you know, I have a Zoom account, so I sent a Zoom link to all the kiddos, and um, yeah, but and we've been doing Zoom now for two weeks, mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of, and I never, I, I didn't really know what to expect, because they're only six, you know, and at first, mm -hmm. everybody was really quiet, mm -hmm. and kids were really shy, and and then I just said, okay, let's let's have some time, we did a show and tell. And so mm -hmm. everybody kind of grabbed something that they had been working on and they just talked about it. And, and over time, it's really been a, an amazing evolution. You know, mm -hmm. the first couple of days, it was really shy and quiet and people were just kind of feeling it out. And even my daughter, who's like sitting there with me, she's like, mom, I don't want to share. She felt, you know, she was just clinging on to me like a, a teddy mm -hmm. bear. Mm -hmm. But today was a really good day for us. We actually played a math game. I used a classroom screener and um, I uploaded an image of a math game that I made for them. And then the classroom screener has these little virtual dice. So the kids got a turn to roll the virtual dice and they were writing their own um, math equations. They were just writing addition equations with it. And everybody was participating. And and to see their smiles and they were happy and they were connecting, it was just, it made it all worth it. And the mm -hmm. parents were really there. And so we did a couple of things where we did even a, a breakout room, like you were talking about. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, guys, tomorrow we're going to try a breakout room. And I, and I'm a, my thinking was, you know, first graders need not just to listen to me read because we did a read aloud. Mm-hmm. So they need to have someone listen to them read. Exactly. So we exactly. did a breakout room and they all got to read to a partner. Mm-hmm. It was so cute. And I kept bopping in, you know, different rooms mm-hmm. to see how everybody was doing and having them listening and, and uh, yeah, no, it was a great experiment because I was like, well, could this really work with, you know, six-year-olds? Can they, mm-hmm. can they get connected and actually learn? Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, there are so many digital tools. You talked about screener and there are widgets. These are actual, you know, functioning calculators that are online. There are GPSs that are online. There's actually cameras and webcams that you can control you can go to the san diego zoo and look at the pandas uh, or any of the other animals and and so you know the power of of being able to open the classroom wide uh and to you know connect to each other and there's like i said there's so many digital tools i would highly recommend you know getting the whole google suite using google docs uh, teaching kids how to collaborate online with Google Slides. Uh, Microsoft Suite is is also open and free. The uh, one of the programs is OneNote that is a great tool to to structure or guide, just like you would have a, a printed copy of a book. Um, but you mentioned screen capturing and broadcast software. That is so phenomenal because kids need to be able to teach others in order for that learning to be cemented personally for them. So, and when they can record their voices, um, the live synchronous discussion with the web conferencing tools, uh, I think, you know, are essential, but being offline, uh, they can also record themselves reading their own stories and then upload that very easily to the net. I also want to encourage teachers to go out and find rubric makers, um, use some informal assessment tools like interactive polling and, right. and games like Kahoot it or Kahoot, uh, poll everywhere, and but have some of your older students, they're capable of actually creating those testing questions or those assessment questions. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I think um, before all this hit, my son's social studies teacher had actually offered the kids if they wanted to do extra credit to do a podcast. <laughs> so I was like, you're Absolutely. doing this. <laughs> but we also have to practice really strict um, guidelines for having students participate in an online forum and what they post up online because there's FERPA and HIPAA compliances. We need to be very cognizant of privacy. Right. Um, and that's why Flipgrid is really being uh, used as an excellent tool for, because it's, you know, it's, it's free, first of all, and it's, it's password protected. Right. Uh, and it's not on what they call the open web. So podcasting, vodcasting, um, I wouldn't suggest that students post it on YouTube, although teachers can. And I know, Dr. Dickinson, you have a, a YouTube channel. So many of these teachers who are 
innovative and really thinking about how they can reach their students, they're going to go to some of these tools so that they can capture their students' interests. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you brought up the whole privacy thing because that's a huge um, thing to consider is like looking at, I know some teachers have been saying that we can't use Zoom because it's not allowed by our school district. So how do I work around that? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's important to think about. I, I personally use the Screencastify tool, which is really nice because with that, you get five minutes free. But the other thing about it is that it automatically uploads to Google Drive. So if your kids are already using Google tools, then it's in your drive. It doesn't have to go on YouTube. It doesn't have to go out public. Mm -hmm. It could be a private link that you're sharing um, and, you know, to your teacher. Like I have a friend who's a music teacher and she's like, oh my God, how am I going to have my kids practice now that, you know, we're not meeting together. And so I told her about screencastify and she's like, oh, that's a great idea. So yes, knowing what your policies are and, you know, I like the idea of the, the key thing that you sa said, I think is so important about plan and plan and plan and repeat. Because before I even got online with the kiddos to play this math game, I practiced it. I said, what is this going to look like? Like, how do I, I didn't, you know, I knew that I didn't want to just try to upload the image and upload, you know, the game board and try it all out when the kids were there because they're six years old. Their attention span is like, you know, two minutes. If I was going to capture them in the first two minutes, I was going to lose them. So planning it all out and practicing it just made it go so much smoother. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're really, uh, a lot of my master's students have, have actually created classes in Moodle and other learning management systems where they've taught salsa dancing, they've oh, wow. taught PE because they recorded themselves and modeled best practices. Uh, and, and then there was an opportunity to have a, a, a web conference or have, you know, have, have a synchronous discussion where in some cases they were dancing with each other <laughs> over a webcam. Uh, but but what's really interesting, and this kind of piqued my interest about six years ago, is they had something called a virtual choir. Oh. You might want to Google that, but it is really the power of bringing people together virtually, and they mix their voices and they all sing simultaneously together. Wow. So think of this in in this time where we need to make meaningful connections with our students. In this time of physical distancing and sheltering in place, open the web, use the power of and harness the power of these tools, these web tools to make meaningful connections with each other. Absolutely. I think that's so important because social emotionally, I, I feel like everyone's experiencing like the stress, the anxiety, the unknown. There's a lot of fear out there as well. So, you know, having like a having some structure, you know, like school's still happening. We can still learn. We can still get through this is so important. Um, well, is there any other advice that you might give to teachers about, you know, the fact that students can have a lot of anxiety or stress right now about what's going on in the world? You know, looking at, at mindfulness and, and making sure that there's, not too much screen time right. um, and feed into the creativity of 
even drawing or sketching or painting or, you know, just using hands-on materials to um, give a nice balance between this virtual connection and the physical connection. I love it. I think that's a great idea. As a parent, that's been a big fear of mine. It's like, yeah, now we're, my kids are staring at the computer screen all day doing, you know, this blended learning stuff. And I don't want that for them. Like I want them to have that social interaction and to be creative. So I love the idea of like doing things that maybe like a STEM task you can build in or genius hour or something that will get them to kind of think outside the box, but also inventing, creating mm-hmm. uh, any of the, the humanities. Uh, there are also a lot of Broadway plays uh, that are, that were recorded that they can, uh, that students can take a look at. There are museums where they can do a virtual walkthrough of a museum. Um, and there are, so many, like, like I mentioned before, web cameras that are observing um, birds and other animals and and really looking at nature and wildlife. Um, the other thing I want to recommend is that this is also a time to connect with family and friends. Mm. And storytelling and listening to others tell stories, whether they're personal first-person narratives, or they are repeating a story that maybe they were uh, a grandparent or a granduncle or granddad, great aunt have had, uh, and, and repeating that to, to children and doing some cross-generational uh, interviewing and using Zoom or using the telephone. Yeah. Just interviewing people and, and taking advantage of the because a lot of uh, adults are are sheltering in place as well. And Skype in the classroom, for example, gives opportunities to be connected to mentors and subject matter experts and engineers and mathematicians. So go on to Skype in the classroom and see if you can't get connected to uh, a place in the world um, or a place in, in business where we have essential employees who are still working and might be able to connect with students as well as those who are uh, sheltering in place. Oh, those are some great ideas. I love it. I'm glad we talked about tech and non-tech ways to make distance learning a success in the classroom. Dr. Sister Chandler, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Teacher Prep. And I'm definitely going to be sharing all of your web, uh, web tool resources with us on my website, Teacher Prep Tech. And definitely check out those Zoom cards. Those are phenomenal. You've sent me those, and I love them. I'm definitely going to share them with our audience as well. Anywhere, any other ways we can get in touch with you or Twitter? You can follow me on Twitter at Cynthia Chandler, Cynthia Chandler. And I also have a tiny URL for a website, which is tinyurl.com slash Cynthia Chandler. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure.